So I'm doing the reading today and we're reading from Ephesians um, chapter 4 verse 25 to chapter 5 verse 2. I'll just give you a few minutes to um, find that at home. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 to chapter 5 verse 2. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thank you, Michelle. And great to hear that you have been enjoying the marriage course. I know quite a number of couples have been doing it, which has been fantastic. Well, let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here. I thank you for all of us, single or married. I pray that the principles we look at would be helpful for all of us, but particularly I pray for married couples that you would strengthen us in our resolve to keep working at our marriages so that they would thrive and be a bright shining light to the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start by saying I really had no idea what I was doing. It was the week of the 20th of May. That week I bought some brand new black patent shoes. They were uh, impressive, I thought. Um, the Friday I went down, picked up a tuxedo, which I'd ordered, had my hair cut. Saturday morning woke up showered, shaved, and about 10 o'clock, 10.15, I was picked up by, I'm not quite sure who, but driven down to St Albans Church at Linfield. And there I met my two groomsmen, Philip Friend, David Whitehead. About 10 past 11, I looked up. The Jeremiah trumpet solo, voluntary, in D, was being played by Howard Peterson. And my beautiful wife, Catherine, or wife-to-be, was walking down the aisle. And about 20 minutes later, I took her hand and looked into her eyes and I said these words. I, Bruce, in the presence of God, take you, Catherine, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn vow and promise. And you know what? I really had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and what I mean by that is not that I was conned or forced into it. There was not a forced marriage. I was very happy to be there. 
And I do understand English, I knew what the words meant, but I had no idea what they would come to mean. And I want to say, I was 24 at the time, whatever age, if you're married, that you got married at, I don't think we really know what we're saying when we say those words. Because we're saying something that is unconditional. It's irregardless of what circumstance of life comes, we are pledging our life to another. And who really knows what these words will come to mean? We're going to look today at marriage and the reality of living those promises out. And if you've been married here in Australia, typically you've probably said those words, those vows, and you've made those promises to your spouse. And I want to say three things today in our message. Firstly, uh, as we think about marriage, marriages are important, but secondly, marriages can be difficult. But thirdly, marriages can thrive. So let's think about that first one, the importance of marriage. And I don't want to say a lot on this, but I do think it's worth saying something about it uh, because marriages are very important. Oh, let me just go back. There's Kath. (laughs) I forgot to show that photo. And that was us on the day. I'm looking at the screen here. And uh, she was gorgeous. I got it out. My heart melted this afternoon. Yesterday when I got it out, I did want to show her off uh, in terms of she's the love of my life. But uh, let me move on. Sorry, getting sidetracked. Uh, marriage is important and oh am I going the right way there we are sorry having a brain fade here there we go marriage is important and there's two reasons for that marriage is important for society and I was doing some research I was reading a few websites and one place that researches marriage said this about marriage marriage is the foundational relationship for all of society and I couldn't agree more for all, uh, all other relationships in society stem from the father-mother relationship And these other relationships thrive most if that relationship, the father-mother relationship, is simultaneously a close and closed husband-wife relationship. In other words, you've got a stable, committed husband-and-wife relationship. It's good for everyone. Good marriages are the bedrock of strong societies for they are the foundation of strong families. I couldn't agree more with what was being said. But I would want to say something extra, and that is that marriage is actually a symbol of the gospel. And so in terms of the way God has made this world, marriage is very central and foundational for every society. But in particular, it points forward to the gospel. And Ephesians 5, 21 through to 32 is probably the most detailed description of marriage in terms of the roles of husband and wife and the way they're to relate together. Very important passage. We're not looking at it today because I have spoken on it previously, but I do want to highlight one verse, which is 31. After 10 verses or 9 verses of describing marriage, he then pivots and says, actually, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And what he's saying here is that the, the marriage relationship between a husband and wife is so important because profoundly it points to the reality of the gospel and the relationship that we have as his people with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of the gospel. And so it's incredibly important. And the thing with marriage, what that means is, marriage is more than just being about our personal happiness. It's actually an opportunity to serve our spouse in a way that reflects the truth, the love and the grace that we find in Christ and good Christian marriages built on Christ reflect his love and his grace and the truth of what it means to know God and be saved by God. So marriages are very important but you don't have to have lived long to know that marriages can be difficult and I think it was just the month of June 
1989, one month in, four weeks later after that great day when I got married, that I experienced the reality of that. Um, and let me just say, uh, Kath had lived out of home for many years prior. I hadn't lived out of home a lot. And uh, my bathroom habits were not what she was accustomed to. And I don't want to say much more about it at that level. Uh, only to say that uh, it was when we had our first serious disagreement and... Uh, that's probably a polite way of saying how Kath responded to what I was doing. I don't want to blame Kath at this level. Um, and it was difficult. And all of a sudden, she had this man in her life that was living in a way that she thought, what on earth is happening? <laughs> and since that time, there have been all sorts of issues and conflicts that we've had to navigate together. And let me say, many of them far more significant than my bathroom habits. But that's the nature of marriage. And it shouldn't surprise us because what happens in marriage is you put two self-focused people in the most intimate and close relationships. We're what the Bible calls sinful. We will always choose ourselves as our natural inclination. And when you put them together, you should expect that there's going to be difficulty, there'll be struggles, there'll be conflict, there'll be heartache. And if we are to make it work, we need to keep working on the marriage. And so don't be surprised when I say that in my time as a minister, I've seen some wonderful marriages, but I've also seen some dead marriages. I've seen some difficult marriages. I've met many divorced people who've been through very difficult times. And for whatever reason, they got to the point where they said, I just can't do it anymore. And sadly, I've also seen domestically violent or abusive marriages. I do want to say a short thing about that. Sadly, there are too many marriages in our society and it is reflected in our church where one spouse seeks to control the other. And it may or may not be violent, but what it is is controlling and it's abusive and it's wrong. And I'm not going to say a lot, only to say I did speak briefly about it in my weekly email and there are some resources there that you can access. And importantly, what I would want everyone to know who's in an abusive uh, marriage and that you, if you are the victim, that we want to support and help you, including if that means moving out. And absolutely, we would want to support you in that to get you to a place of safety. And if you are going through or experiencing abuse, please do contact us because we want to be of assistance. And if there's a pastoral staff member that you know and trust, get in contact with them is my encouragement. Why does this happen? Why do we have difficulties in our marriage? I mean, I think back to May 20, 1989, and I was just starry-eyed. I was so excited. But it was only four weeks later when the reality of two self-focused people living together struck me. And we've got a passage this morning which is not a classic passage on marriage, but it is a very significant passage on relationships. So if you're not married, there is something here for everyone in terms of thinking about what the Word of God has to say to us today. But it speaks particularly, I think, to the practicalities of both the difficulties of marriage and how also marriages can thrive. And so let's think firstly about the difficulties of marriage and why they are so. And I want to read to us from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 25. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through to 31. And so if you've got your scriptures there, do read with me. It starts this way, Therefore each of you must put off. And Paul is speaking about the relational habits 
that we fall into because of our sin and our self-interest. He says, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up in according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And so, as I said, if you're not married, this is still super applicable for us. If you are married, absolutely it's applicable. And if you could apply this to spouses, and I was thinking about how this does apply to myself and to any spouse or any close friendship or relationship, what he's saying is, think about the way you relate to your spouse. You need to speak the truth to each other. Too many relationships and marriages have deception involved in them where the spouse is covering stuff up for their own self-interest. Get rid of it. There needs to be a transparency in our marriages. And anger, resolve the issues with your spouse when they arise. Don't let them fester. And you've got that famous phrase, don't let the sun go down. It's such an important principle for all married couples when they've been in conflict. It also talks about stealing, and I thought, how does that apply to spouses? Well, spouses absolutely can steal from their spouse, their husband or wife. They can steal time from them by just wanting to use all the time for their own purposes. Uh, they can steal affection from their spouses that they should be giving, and they're withholding it. And there's numbers of ways we can steal from our husband or wife. And what it speaks of is spouses being self-focused, just thinking about their own needs above the needs of their husband or their wife. And then there's the fighting. And there's numbers of descriptions of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander. And I thought, couples go downhill when you get this endless cycle of negative interactions. I'll speak a bit more about that in a moment. But we need to be very wary of the habits and patterns that we get into in marriages, particularly when conflict arises. And then there's bitterness which I thought so often surfaces over time in marriages that are struggling. And it results in resentment, where couples look with a sense of disdain at the other. And they begin to resent them for all manner of reasons. And then lastly, there's what Paul says is slander, and what I just want to say is name-calling. And you see the way slander takes root in marriages by the way a spouse will think about their husband or wife. Oh, they're lazy. Oh, they're selfish. Oh, they're stupid. Oh, they're fat. Oh, they're weak. And you just think of the slanderous names that people think to themselves and sadly sometimes say out loud to their spouse. And what Paul is saying is you need to get rid of it. Now, as we think about what Paul is saying here about relationships and how it applies for spouses, I want to stop and get us to reflect on some of the research on marriage and why marriages break down. And in particular, look at someone who's called, there's the, uh, the list of them all, lying, anger, stealing, self-focus, fighting, resentment and name-calling. 
And in particular, look at the research done by a guy called Dr. John Gottman. Now, I've got his book here. Uh, it's The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. Now, he's not a Christian man. He's a Jewish man. But he's researched for 40 years in clinical trials marriages with the goal of trying to work out what makes them work and why do they fall apart. And he is one of the world-leading experts at this time. In fact, he says, after spending time with a couple, he can work out with a 91% sense of accuracy about whether the marriage will last or whether they will divorce. And couples come for time with him in what he calls the love laboratory, and they stay overnight and he observes them. And in particular, what he wants to observe is how they resolve conflict. In other words, how do they interact with each other? And what he noted was there is a death spiral that couples can get into when they're in difficulty. And he talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse that can enter into a marriage and cause it to break down. Now, the first of these is criticism. Problems start with couples when they start to criticise their spouse. You blame them, you criticise them in some way because of something that you see is defective in them. Oh, why do you keep doing that all the time? And they globalise things. And when you go down this path of criticising your spouse without resolving it, what it leads to is a sense of defensiveness. Sorry. And criticism leads to defensiveness. It happens when a spouse feels a sense of righteous indignation when criticised and they meet a complaint with a counter-complaint. And so you're criticising them, they criticise you and the typical response is, it's not my fault. And you get very defensive and you shut emotionally down. And thirdly, there's contempt. And this one's significant because apparently it's the best predictor of divorce. It's different to criticism in that with contempt, people are speaking from a perceived morally higher plane and they speak down to their spouse. Couples get there by calling their partner names or by directly insulting them. You're lazy, you're dumb, you're stupid. And he said, when you get to that place, you're in a very dangerous arena in terms of where your marriage is at. And lastly, he said, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse is stonewalling. And what he means by that is you emotionally withdraw from the relationship. There's no communication. There's a sense of which the walls have come down. There's no relational movement in terms of being open and moving towards your spouse to understand them, to care for them. Rather, the opposite has happened. You've shut down from them and withdrawn emotion away from them which leads to no sense of emotional response when conflicts arise. And you can see it where people have conflict, things arise, and someone will just say, whatever, do what you want. And they're stonewalling. They've emotionally shut down. And let me say, if you've reached that place, you do need help. Now, the good news is this. The gospel says change is possible. Hope is possible. Marriages can be saved. And it's interesting, John Gottman says exactly the same things. You can actually learn to rewrite the scripts and the habits that you've fallen into and enter into new scripts and new habits for how you relate together that can actually transform your marriage. And the interesting thing he said is this, and I found it fascinating, 70% of conflicts actually never get resolved. And the reason for that is, is because our personality issues are so deeply entrenched. What we learn to do is navigate our partner's differences while appreciating the positives for who they are and what they bring. 
and we bring positive emotion and affection to the relationship. I'm going to talk to that very shortly. But the key thing underneath it all is a loss of respect for your spouse. And you think about what John Gottman is saying here, the criticism, the defensiveness, the contempt, the stonewalling, and you put that next to the list of Paul and you see it's a direct application of how those seven issues in Ephesians chapter 4 are manifest in a marriage relationship. And so don't just go, okay, that's happening. Hear what Paul says, you need to get rid of it, you need to deal with it. You need to acknowledge it and confess it and work out how you can change. Now, it would be very simplistic to think that if you're in a difficult or damaged marriage that you could listen to me today and all of a sudden things would suddenly change. Oh, that's what's going on. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> the pathway to getting to a point of criticism and defensiveness and stonewalling happens over years. And you need to get help to rewrite those scripts, to build new positive habits of interaction. And I'd strongly encourage you that if you're in difficulties in your marriage, or even if it's dead, don't give up, but get professional help. And if you need names of counsellors, we would love to be in touch with you. Just reach out to us through the pastoral staff. But marriages can recover. That is the good news of the gospel. But thirdly, let me say, marriages can thrive. They can be difficult, but they can thrive. And they thrive when you put the work in, when you learn to love and respect your spouse rather than criticise them, when you work to appreciate them, respecting them for who they are and the beautiful things they bring. And the beautiful thing about this passage that uh, Scott actually picked it for me uh, is it finishes with these very positive instructions for relationships and they're so applicable for marriage relationships and there's three things I saw there verse 32 have a look it firstly says be kind and compassionate to one another and it's one of those phrases that you can simply read over without thinking stopping to think about but just think about this imagine if every day you did something that was kind and compassionate to your spouse what would that do to the marriage well let me say it would really help it reset if it's not in the best place and it would put you on a journey to health and it's such a simple thing that you be kind to your spouse, that you do something kind, that you say something kind. And I want to challenge you, no matter what state your marriage is in, make sure every day you're doing something kind to them. In fact, I'd say, what are you going to do today to be kind to your spouse? I was writing this uh, section yesterday in the afternoon. I thought I just need to do something kind to my wife. And it's interesting, she'd had her birthday a number of weeks back. And I wanted to buy flowers, but other people had already bought them. She said, no, you get them another time when these ones have worn out. And they'd just worn out. They'd lasted a, a few weeks. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go and buy those flowers. And I'm not saying it to boast, but I remember I was just sitting there thinking, I need to do this myself. Be kind to Kath. And I went and bought some nice flowers and brought them. She was surprised. I just said, I'm going to Harris Farm. Do something nice. Be kind and compassionate. But secondly, forgiveness. Paul also says in chapter 4, verse 32, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, forgiveness is a massive topic. And it's so important. Scott is going to bring a whole message on that next week to round out our one another series. But I will say two things. Firstly, there's no doubt in my mind that the reason some marriages struggle greatly is because of this precise issue. There's a lack of forgiveness between spouses. There's history of conflict. And one or the other or both hold on to grudges and hurts 
from the past for things done, and they may have been very serious things done, apologies have been made, but no forgiveness has been offered. And friends, we need to hear what Paul says here. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. In other words, it's not an option. And when true reconciliation is being sought, we need to offer forgiveness and that fresh start. But I do want to say, secondly, if you're in an abusive marriage and you are the victim, the sin of your partner is very significant and needs to be repented of. And don't hear me saying that you are to forgive and just put up with your spouse seeking to control and intimidate you. Please get in touch with people who can help, as I said before. The third thing is we need to love our spouses. I'll tell you one interesting fact about this command. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 say this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I was reading Paul O'Brien, who was my former lecturer, his uh, wonderful book on Ephesians, and in particular on these verses. And he made the point that though Paul will tell us to follow his example and imitate him as he imitates Christ, never in any part of Scripture do you get us being called to imitate God himself, except for here. And what is it we are in one particular way called to imitate the example of God? It's that as dearly loved children, that we are to love as he has loved us. And what's profound is it starts with the Father's love for us. We are his dearly loved children, so therefore walk in the way of love. And then he says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we have the love of the Father and we have the love of the Son. And that is to fuel our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit so that we walk in the way of love. I love that phrase. We live a life of love. And marriages are to be this beautiful picture of love. Where a husband loves his wife, where a wife loves her husband. And it is to be the mark of a thriving marriage. And it is what makes a marriage thrive. And it's interesting when you... Look further at the work of Gottman in terms of what actually makes marriage relationships work. He talks about friendship and intimacy. And I couldn't help but think that what he was talking about were the practicalities of living a life of love in the marriage context. He talks about enhancing your love map. In other words, being known and knowing your partner in a way that grows day by day, week by week, having an interest in them, understanding what stresses them out, what they love, etc. You, your appreciation of their life grows. But secondly, your fondness and admiration for them grows as you know more about them. And let me say, it's not enough to just know that in your head. You need to say it. And I want to say that particularly to blokes. You need to keep telling your wife they're beautiful. You need to keep telling them that you love them. You need to keep appreciating them for all that they bring to your marriage. And wives the same. Because husbands in particular need to know they're respected. And it's a beautiful thing when you see a husband and wife love each other with a fondness and an admiration and they express it verbally to each other. And then thirdly, he says, you need to learn to turn towards each other rather than away from each other by building emotional connections. And it's a profound thing. Even in the midst of argument, you turn towards your spouse to understand them rather than stonewalling 
and being self-defensive. And I thought it's a beautiful description of the practicalities of walking in love. And friends, here's the thing. When you have a lifetime built on habits and patterns of kindness and compassion, of forgiveness when conflict arises, and walking in love with them, you will have a marriage that thrives in spite of the differences and in spite of the conflicts. And I want to finish by inspiring you with the story of one such marriage that was just like that. And it's a beautiful marriage. It's a marriage that sadly finished four, years ago, uh, four months ago with the death of the spouse. And I'm speaking of Bruce Baird and his wonderful marriage to Judy Baird. And she was the love of his life. And I asked him bravely, would he mind speaking about this beautiful marriage that he had to Judy four months after the fact that she passed away and gone to be with the Lord? Because I was so impressed with the way he loved her right to the end and honoured his word and kept his promise. And he did that because she was the love of his life. And I bring it to you to inspire you in your marriage. Keep working at it and keep walking in the way of love. Let's have a listen. I've got with me today Bruce Baird and we're going to be talking about his wonderful marriage to his wife, Judy. Sadly, in the month of May, Judy, his wife, passed away from a very rare brain degenerative disease. And one thing that has greatly struck me in my time here in the parish was just his incredible love and dedication in the marriage to Judy right up to the very end. And I bravely asked Bruce, would he be prepared to share about his marriage? And he very kindly said yes. So welcome along today, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. Great to have you here. Um, So a very decorated life, both in the public service, uh, private enterprise, as well as a very uh, distinguished career in politics, both state and federal level. Um, Tell us, though, about Judy, because she was the love of your life. When did you first meet Judy? I met Judy at 14 on a harbour cruise um, on the Sydney showboat, it was called, and uh, she invited me to come and visit her, so I rode my bike over to Brightley Sands and she put on Bill Haley and the Comets and I thought she was very cool. Very good, so love at first sight. <laughs> I love, yeah, she, I, I thought she was really lovely. Yeah. Uh, and so that continued on and um, we got engaged at 21. Later. 21? Yeah. Fantastic. Now, how long were you married for? We were married for just short of 57 years. 57 years. So that's a fair time. It is. Now, for much of your marriage, you had a very public life, both in public service as well as in state and federal politics. What impact did that have on the marriage? Well, it has substantial impact uh, because Judy was by nature an introvert. But a career in terms of where she was spent lots of time with diplomatic uh, dinners, cocktail parties, receptions, and then into politics, branch meetings, branch dinners, conferences was not her speed. Uh, she did have the tendency to fall asleep sometimes in after she'd worked all day as psychologist. I doubt she'd be the only one. <laughs> and especially when I was speaking, I did point out it was unhelpful. Um, and uh, But, yeah, and then, you know, the nasty times when lots of bad headlines... Uh, directed at you and also death threats and so on which were not easy. Mm. 
Now, in terms of uh, the marriage, um, how did you survive and just get through and not just survive because you really thrived? You know, it's a marriage that lasted the distance with great love. Yeah, well, you know, we had our tough times uh, and to do uh, to go through and, um, you know, it wasn't perfect. We had our ups and downs, um, but we would come together and pray about issues if there were issues there. But Judy also had a had a theme, which is not original, but um, don't get go to bed angry. So if you've got some complaints about one another, you talk about it and resolve it before you go to bed. Ephesians 4, it is a great principle. <laughs> Absolutely, don't let the sun go down. Yeah, yeah. Um, you also used to pray a lot together. Yes, we did. You yeah. told me about that. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, when we had issues to pray for, we would come together and pray for those and pray for our children and even things like uh, um, the Olympic bid. When we're in Monte Carlo together, we were down in our room praying through each member who was voting that they would vote for Sydney because we just believed it'd be a great thing for the city. Absolutely. Um, she was a remarkable lady, Judy. Um, what was it that you most loved about her? Uh, well, she had a lot of endearing features. I think number one is her unconditional love for me. She knew me better than anyone else. My upsides, my downsides, all my failures, she knew. Uh, but she loved me regardless. And it was also her intelligence. Uh, she was very bright, a sense of humour, and I think also a strong faith. Mm -hmm. Now, the last seven years have been very difficult, were, were very difficult. And I remember um, finding out about the fact that she'd been diagnosed with this rare condition. And it literally was just this slow decline in health. Um, she ended up at Estia, up at Manly Vale in the nursing home. And one thing that struck me was that um, you were so devoted to her every day through this whole period, which was not short. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, look, it was it was a slow progression where we didn't know what was going on at first, whether she started to, her hands would shake and then she lost movement of her arms, her legs, and then eventually couldn't speak. So I would go up there every day and sometimes it was difficult because of lockdown and they make me come after everyone had gone to bed. That's not easy going through the nursing home. Uh, but she'd be pleased to see me and it, and it came to a point where she couldn't speak and but she could still, if you tell her something touching, she would cry or even laugh if something was funny. Mm. So, and then she'd also let you know that she loved me. Mm. So, um, but it was, uh, you know, touching. And, and in the last few weeks, uh, one of the carers who sang at her funeral service, Lani, would knew all her favorite hymns, she'd recorded them all, and would go up every day and play the guitar with Judy's favorite hymns. And um, her faith was such a strong, positive thing instead mm. of saying just get me out of here i can't stand it she had that faith and assurance that jesus loved her and she knew where she was going mm. i was very touched at the funeral when you spoke because when you got up there i never forget, and i won't forget it that you said she was the love of your life yeah that's true uh and it started when i was we were very young at 14 and it continued through, through the good times and the tough times. And we had our faith together and uh, she was the love of my life.
Thank you for sharing today, Bruce. It's been wonderful to hear about the story of your beautiful marriage.